You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. need to lean in like that Simon that just makes you look stupid hang on did, did I just did I just hear another voice well you mean you were listening to JR <clears throat> oh there you are <laughs> oh you mean because Mark's here welcome back sir did you Thank know you I didn't even react when JR called me stupid or looking stupid mm. it's, it, that's what it's come to is I just it's just wore off a duck's back yeah, I'm not well, quite we've sure all why been there, so I'm going to do I'm going to do something completely perverse now for a change well, nice to me. No, everybody's... is that why you're wearing those um, PVC trousers? <laughs> I'm gonna delay our review of tonight's Doctor Who episode, this week's Doctor Who episode, oh. and talk about the film I watched instead first, <sighs> instead of saving it for the end. You crazy fool! Are you gonna go into the toilet? No, then? go why? on. Go on. Yeah, but you like my film. Reviews. I love your film. You... You're Come the on. only one who does. I know. What's hey, it gonna be? This time? He's always shifting the goalposts. This week, I watched a film called The Killage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is this about a village? No, there's no village in it. Okay. Killage, actually, I had to look it up. It's in the Urban Dictionaries. It just means... It's like a noun to mean lots of killing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So it's called The Killage. It is basically... It is basically an ultra-cheap Australian version of Scary Movie. Hmm. Right. But is this ultra cheap by Australian standards or just ultra cheap? Just ultra se. cheap by any standards. Mm. The whole thing was recorded in some holiday camp, off-season, over two Sweet. weekends. Delta. No. <laughs> You're obsessed, man. Just let it go. <laughs> let the it story... Go. It's like Geordie, then. <laughs> the story is ten, basically, teenagers and people in their early 20s who have all about to start work for this company. And the company when it has a new influx of staff, sends them all off on a training weekend. So you've got 10 teenagers, plus the driver, plus the guy who's in charge of the training weekend, 12 people, turn up in this holiday camp that's deserted apart from them, miles away from anywhere, no coverage on the mobile phones, and one of them's a murderer. Mm. (coughs) Bus driver. No, he's one of the first to go. (laughs) <laughs> but it's that's been done before, though. I mean, it, it is a standard story, right? Twelve people, middle of nowhere, no mobile phone coverage. One of them's a killer and starts bumping them all off one by one. And here's the thing about scary movie. Scary movie. Have you all seen scary movie? Mm. Um, yes, ago. unfortunately, it's yes. diabolical. Yeah, because it's the, the main problem with it. Sorry to buy in. The main problem with it is they're spoofing <clears throat> a spoof. Yeah. Well, this. Is kind of spoofing the spoof of the spoof. Mm. This is, yeah, but <clears throat> well, scary movies mm. spoofing. Mm. Scary movies. <laughs> Lee, is that you? Uh, scary movies spoofing Scream, which mm. isn't a spoof. 
so much as a um, pastiche, meta textual pastiche. Yeah, okay. Mm. So, is that in a dictionary? Yes. <laughs> Which one? Well, this was in most film studies dictionaries, I should think, Lee. Go on. You and your meta textual, whatever it is. Look, okay, The Killage is not a good film. Most of the humour is absolutely appalling. When can I borrow it? <laughs> but, but, on the bright side, your Australian accent has improved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the 12 people who are in it play it with so much gusto that you can't help falling in love with it, basically. And here's the thing. Where a scary movie, what I was just about to say, a scary movie is, like, ostentatiously funny. Hmm. Everybody in it thinks they're funny. Yeah. Whereas the 12 people in this know they're not funny. So they just mm. play up to it, basically. And as a result, it's a lot funnier. It's actually a pretty funny film. It's also extremely arch. I mean, the 12, the 10, the 10 uh, people who go on this work, one of them's the jock, one of them's the goth girl, one of them's the mm-hmm. blonde bimbo, one of them's the nerd, etc., etc. All the stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. And... <laughs> Two things about it. One, they don't die in the order you'd think they would. The one who appears to be the hero is dead two-thirds of the way through the movie. Although, that's not the end of its role in the movie by any means. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny enough in itself. But the other thing about it is, because it was the whole thing was being recorded across two weekends, five days at this holiday camp off-season or whatever it was, the direct it's not found footage, by the way, which is a huge bonus these mm. days. But the director actually storyboarded out the entire film so they could just go there and they'd know exactly what they were doing from one yeah. minute to the next. And when the weather was good enough, they'd go out and do the outdoor stuff. And when the weather wasn't good enough, they'd go in and do the indoor stuff. But they had all the storyboards for all the scenes so they knew exactly what they were doing. And, you know, that attention to detail made a huge difference and it made it a much much better film than it would have been otherwise if it had been a found footage film it would have been appalling as it is it's it's rubbish but it's great (laughs) i really enjoyed it so bad it's good yeah so there you go Uh, that was the film equivalent of betty boo yeah Mm. I suppose. Wow, I wouldn't exactly have put Betty Boo and the Killage in the same breath. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is if the bus driver is one of the first to go, do they actually say, bloody hell, how are we going to get home now? Well, I'm sure he's not the only one there with a driving licence. Mm. Yeah, but that's for the joke. Not for an HGV, though. <clears throat> well, we don't want <clears throat> those, do we? Um... So is it the children's <laughs> entertainer that's left over from the last season? Pardon? Is it the children's entertainer? Is he the killer? No, don't spoil the don't You're spoil thinking the of Heidi High come at the end, Lee. I'm seeing it. <laughs> You're thinking of Heidi High, you're getting them confused. Yeah, Heidi High does the killage. Mm. That'd be great. <clears throat> it's so funny. It's not funny, but it's so funny. Yeah, some great funny moments. You have to watch it. Yeah. Well, the other thing I've started watching as well. Mm. Do you all know Kingsley Amis? Mm. I'm aware Amos. of him, but I've not read any of his stuff. Do you know, um, do any of you like Jackson Pollock? Yes. Um, yeah, I guess. Right, here's the thing. Everybody knows that Jackson Pollock was an absolute bastard, right? And yet, <clears throat> that doesn't mean you can't appreciate his art, mm. right? Well, Kingsley Amis, similarly, is an absolute <clears throat> bastard, but he writes bloody good books. And I've just also started watching The Green Man, which was a three-part 
BBC 1990 oh, adaptation yeah. of his ghost story. Mm, yeah. Because most of his novels are sort of, well, all of his novels are mostly autobiographical. Because mm. the lead character in just about every single one of them is a boozy, womanising reprobate, <clears throat> which is Kingsley Amis, obviously. Mm. So they're all autobiographical to that extent. But he also did one science fiction novel and one horror novel. And this was an adaptation of his horror novel adapted by Malcolm Bradbury. Right. Anyway, it's a bloody good script. And it's got... Which, which is it? What's it called? The Green Man. I oh, remember, yeah, yeah, I've seen The Green Man. Yes. Hmm, I remember them making a big thing about it and the advertising <clears> was going like crazy to... Talbot Finney, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's brilliant. Really, really, really good in this. This is a really classic piece of TV. Mm. Anyway, I'll talk more about that next week because I'll have watched the other two parts by then. But yeah, I used to have this on VHS and and now it's coming out on DVD and as soon as I saw that was coming up for review, I thought, I'll snap that one up. Mm. It was one of those those things that was on and everybody was like, ooh, this is good Mm. and it got forgotten. Yeah, yeah. But now it's back on DVD. Excellent. Right, Mark, what did you think of last week's Doctor Who? And I really give it a mark it. out of ten. Oh my goodness me. <clears throat> um, well, I came to it unspoiled. I don't go quite to Lee's levels of wearing me balaclava the wrong way around, so I don't see or hear anything, but... <laughs> did you know it was Davros? <laughs> did you know it was Davros? <laughs> no, I didn't. So all that I... was a nice surprise. The only the thing I knew going into it was that the Daleks and Missy were in it, and that's all I knew which I think is the way to go because I've heard one or two people, um, particularly Mark on Proctor Who, he sounded very disappointed when they were doing their review. Um, he'd obviously read about this months before and had his own idea of how it's going to pan out because it didn't quite marry up with what he would have done. Mm. It's kind of ruined it for him. why he had a problem with it, though, to be fair. Well, no, he, <clears> I think there were a few... Um, choices that they made in the story that he wasn't overly happy with. Yes, because he's on a podcast that's called Proctor Who. It's mm. all about guitar music. He was most offended when Peter not overly got a guitar no, out and started no. playing it. No, I really enjoyed it. And um, the the open was, the opening section was brilliant. Um, and that, where it ended with him saying he was Davros, so it absolutely blew me away. I um, You kind of knew it was going to be... Um, Scaro just from the gas masks and the you know, biplanes. Gen- yeah, yeah. Well, it it kind of it had that essence of Genesis. Um, and although I could kind of see it coming as he was saying it, it still kind of hits you for six when you find out it's Davros. So yeah, it was a very memorable story. I thought um, Colony Sarf was a something a bit different from what we've seen before. I did kind of think of the Mara when I. Saw the snake thing initially. Um, <laughs> Star Wars yeah. Express. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a lot of people cosplaying with those. That's uh... like every time there's slugs in the flower bed. I can't help but think of um, the twin dilemma. Oh yeah. And every time there's a floater <laughs> that doesn't flush down the toilet, <laughs> I can't help but think of Eric Saywood. Oh. <laughs> After he sent you that lovely photo as well. Just kidding. You ungrateful. It's war. Give it a mark, <laughs> Mark. Give it a mark. Say ward. I for the first episode. I would give the first episode a solid eight. Mm. Mm. Solid eight out of ten. That was the average from us three, wasn't it? Mm. I think it was. Seven yeah. and eight and a nine. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Very quickly, round the table. Stay with you for a minute, Mark. Mm. What did you think of last night's episode? We're recording this on Sunday. Um, I like that they explained how uh, Missy escaped right at the very start, so... Uh, I know a lot of people tend to go on about 
Moffat. You mean escaped with... from death in heaven? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know a lot of people point you out. You know, we'll Moffat. get into specifics later. This is just your general. I liked it. I didn't like it. It was great. I loved it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Lee. Okay, we're quite at the beginning of the podcast. You might want to bleep this bit out. That it was. No, don't you dare. Just say <laughs> effing. <laughs> don't you dare. I'm not doing any editing on this. I can't. Oh, I've got no time. Shall I edit it then? You can do Just what Morris does on the IT crowd and say flip. Uh, it was brilliant. <clears throat> All right then, Simon. Yes, very good. All right, <clears throat> Jr. Well, I had a few problems with it. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry. Should we? <sighs> well, shall we do the problems? Yeah. Before yeah. we get to the good stuff. Go on. Then. And we'll sort of talk through the episode mm-hmm. because. Well, all right, we'll go back to what I always say about how a story needs to have elements that marry up so that it becomes a whole that's kind of consistent, that has like a internal consistency. <clears throat> and I'm not even talking an internal logic, but I'm talking a consistency of ideas. And I didn't think it had a consistency of ideas. And I just thought that although... There were some scenes in it that were absolute stone-cold, 10 out of 10 classic scenes that will go down in Doctor Who mythology, right? Yeah. But there were other bits of it that just flopped around and made no sense. The... <clears throat> one I, of the... I have to say, I pretty that's pretty much what I was going to say. Yeah, the, yeah. For example, just one example out of all the examples, because I think there are a lot of examples of this, mm. and I think overall, the overall effect is that it was a damn good episode. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a worthy successor to Genesis of the Daleks, even though it's not a sequel to Genesis of the Daleks. It's just a follow-on like all the other Davros stories from the 80s. Mm. Whereas in the first part, we thought it was going to be a sequel to Genesis, right? Yeah. But it turned out it wasn't. Genesis of the Daleks is a classic, in spite of having lots of flim-flam along the way, right? Genesis of the Daleks could have been an exceptional four-part story. As it is, it's a six-part story with two episodes of clams. running around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clams. This <laughs> this felt the same. It, it, the good bits were so good that it is going to be a classic, almost certainly, for generations to come. But the bad bits did let it down as Which an experience. Yeah, what was, what was the chief right, here's, problem here's you had? an example of one of the bad bits. <clears throat> When Stephen Moffat writes a story where he's going to have a twist ending, Mm. which most of his stories will, he will give you something. Like I always say, he will give you the answer before he asks the question, Mm -hmm. right? And again, he did it this week. He gave you the, you know, the Dalek mortuary in the sewers, Mm. which he was going to use to resolve the problem of the Daleks upstairs, suddenly having all these extra powers with this regeneration energy. And up until the point at which Davros turns it on its head and says, I've been tricking you this whole time, you don't realise that the Daleks upstairs are going to need answering because you think you've already got the answer because Davros has said, these pipes, you can kill the Daleks with those. Once I've gone, do it, get rid of them. So the Doctor thinks it's sorted and Davros pulls his rabbit out of the hat and all of a sudden it's not sorted. Daleks have got these extra powers and it's just... Okay, we turn the sewers on, and Mm -hmm. the sewers will sort it out, which is pretty much exactly the same way that Time of Angels ended, 
with when the spaceship gets turned on, so does the gravity motor, yeah. and the weeping angels mm-hmm. get sucked into the gravity motor. Something that's been there the whole time, and that, you know, as a viewer, you should know yeah. when you get to the end of the story, when the power's turned back on, when the Daleks get this regeneration energy, you should know that that's going to affect the Daleks in the sewer, that that engine coming on is going to suck the weeping angels into it. But <clears throat> Was usually... I the only one thinking that it was a nod to the curse of fatal death? Yeah. No, we'll no. get into that in a minute. I was thinking about that as well. <laughs> That's in my review. How do you mean were you well, the only one thinking it? it? Well, <laughs> three of us then. Uh, did you guys see the the um, prologue? Are you going to let me finish my point? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can... The point is usually the thing he gives you that is the twist is something that's been important to the story all along. Like in The Empty Child... The nanites, or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. the nanobots, nanogenes, whatever yeah. they call them in that story, are the thing that set it up. So, of course, they're the thing that fixes it, and that's why they've been hiding in plain sight all the time. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, it is just extraordinary television, because yeah. the answer's been there, and you didn't see it. And it only takes a single line of dialogue for the yeah. light bulb to go on over your head and for you to go... What an astonishing piece so of work. So it's that sleight of hand of having yeah. it there but not making and it Yeah, and normally obvious. Stephen Moffat's sleight of hand is exceptional. But in this instance, rather than do a sleight of hand that is coherent with the rest of the story, instead he gives you this sort of look back to the very first Dalek story with the sewers and the mm. caves and the mutations. And this is all like homage to the very first Dalek story. But it's got nothing to do with anything else that's going on anywhere else. Mm. So at the end, when these Daleks in the sewers get the regeneration energy and sort of seep up through the floor and get the other Daleks, Mm. it's all just a bit too pat and senseless and doesn't add up and it's not consistent with the rest of the story. And the resolution to the story is too important to throw away on Mm. something that is, you know, more of an homage to a different story that's not even the story you're referencing than it is consistent with the rest of what you're writing. And there are examples of that, like the Curse of Fatal Death thing, Mm. all the way through it. And they didn't spoil it, but what they did mean was that it wasn't the absolute classic that it could and possibly should have been. It was like, for once, I think Stephen Moffat is really good at finding that balance between fan service and writing television for a modern audience who don't care about fan service. And I think on this one occasion, he let his fan servicing side get the better of him just a little bit too much. He found it more important to write stuff like that, which was homaging a 52-year-old story, than he did to write something consistent. Anyway, well, does anybody disagree? Um, That's quite a lot, isn't it? The way you've put it there, it makes the whole, whole two episodes feel a lot less than what I felt. Mm. But but well, I don't think I yeah. think you should let it. No, but, but both myself and my son were not only a little bit confused. He must have missed the bit where the servers were suddenly revolting and, and getting the power. Yeah. And actually, when the sludge was coming through, it was kind of like, oh, is that how they're all going to end? It was a bit like, mm, all right. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but that part of it, I have to say, was so small. I mm. knew that I knew that whatever reset button or whatever ending you're going to get in this, it's never going to be as good as the journey. The journey in this meant yeah. so much to me. Yeah. But here's the thing: it was like it was like in Flatline, where yeah, in order to 
Because remember, there's that jeopardy at the end. Clara needs to get them out of that tunnel and into a safe room so that they can think. Mm-hmm. And she does that brilliant thing with a piece of art on the door mm-hmm. so that the flat creatures, whatever they're called, yeah. think it's a door when actually it's just a wall. Mm-hmm. And that's a brilliant sleight of hand to get them out of the first jeopardy. But it doesn't rescue them from the second jeopardy. And the second rescue is just a doctor waving his sonic screwdriver and it falls flat. Mm-hmm. This was like that because the twist when Davros says, I was kidding you all along. I only wanted your regeneration energy. I thought I was going to have to cut it out of you. Mm. But actually, the Wicker Man, you gave it of your own free will. (laughs) That is a brilliant twist Mm. that I don't think anybody saw coming, mostly because of Julian Bleacher's performance, because he absolutely sold it Mm. that Davros was for real. A brilliant moment, like that brilliant moment in Flatline, followed by a really crass moment, followed by that really crass moment in Flatline. It doesn't spoil the episode, but what it does mean is that you come out of it with a slight bad taste in your mouth and you're taking the shine off it a bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, this is Doctor Who, isn't it? I mean, look at all the endings we get. There aren't many brilliant endings for any Doctor Who's, are (laughs) there, really? Look at the pyramids of Mars. Even (laughs) Towns of Wayne Chang has got a shoddy ending. Exactly. But I don't know. I don't know about (laughs) the rest of you, but I've I've got a lot to say about it, which is good, but... uh, Anybody else want to say something first? I don't know. I've got a lot of other things to talk about. But I mean, on that particular point. I, I had a similar reaction, possibly from a slightly different angle, in as much as that, that it felt like that could have been maybe a little set piece, in as much as they could have got some Daleks down there that were going after Missy, and you know they could have all been caught in that way where all the Daleks got sucked in. But it it's almost like um, it's almost like the Titanic. But it sinks because it's got a little hole near the bottom. It doesn't actually smack into an iceberg. It's it kind of, it just didn't convince me mm. as being something that would happen. That all <clears> of a sudden, all of the Daleks would suddenly get all, all get absorbed by this stuff in the sewers. Um, and it and could have, it, they could have done those. I mean, it was there those wires in that room that Davros mm-hmm. had plugged into. It could have just used that. Mm. They could have found some way to use that. I really, you know, and I like the I like the way it ended. I like the fact that the base all fell down in James Bond style. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was great. I, it was nice to see as a as a season opener to to see something like that happen. So, um, but in much the same way, if it was like a chart uh, going along, funny you say about flatline, like if it was a meter going along, and there's so many peaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some lovely peaks, but every now and again it would drop down to the middle section. Just to, and it would never dip. I never thought it was bad. Mm. But it did dip, and it got down to sort of the middle section where I was kind of like, okay. The, and then there would be this amazing bit again. And, yeah, and amazing these, peaks. Yes, <clears> exactly. But the troughs just kind of... You know, the one, I think, and that's like a sort of a writerly kind of thing to notice, I suppose. And I suppose a lot of people watching probably wouldn't notice that. But the thing that struck me about it was that if it hadn't been all those cutaways to Missy and Clara, who were absolutely ridiculous, Redundant in this episode, by the way. <laughs> if it hadn't been all tall for all the cutaways to them, it would just have been two blokes in a room talking mm. for 45 minutes. Mm. And it's not very dynamic. Because that started well at the beginning of the episode. It started mm. really well, yeah. you know, with the, the pointy stick. It just mm. it was brilliant. just love it. I like, I like the dynamic between the two of them. Oh, Clara and Missy were great. Great and, together. And, of course, both the titles referring to... <clears throat> You know, first of the Doctor and Clara. In it, funny that Clara is referred to in both both episodes in the title. You think so? I think she is, isn't she? Isn't the first one? The first one's Magician's Apprentice, yeah. which is talking about 
the Doctor being the magician and his apprentice being Davros, Davros. because it's the Doctor Clara. made Davros what? No, Clara's been the Doctor's okay, apprentice so for the last so two what's years. what's the second one then? The, the witch is... Well, the Davros is the mm. witch and the Doctor's his toy, his plaything. Oh, okay. I was thinking... Because there's, there's a lot of people thinking of Missy and Clara. Mm. Well, know. it is also Missy and Clara, but mm. they are so redundant that, the, to me, Missy and Clara, yes, that is the witch's familiar... Again, a second example of that. Yeah. But the main one is absolutely yeah. Davros toying with the Doctor. Because okay. a familiar of a witch, obviously, is what it a is. A pet. It's a fam- mm. familiar of a witch. Oh, I see. So okay. Clara isn't really being Missy, whereas Davros and the Doctor are pretty similar <clears> in, their, in their ways. It's a, the whole what? thing is yeah. a game between... And in fact, when game. it turns on its head at the end, and we will get to the curse of fatal death, Mark, I promise. <laughs> when it turns on its head at the end, yeah. and Davros says... I was fooling you all along. And the doctor says, Oh, yes, I knew you were fooling me, and I was fooling you too. Why did he turn into Al Jolson? Because I couldn't help it. The hands, the jazz Uh, hands came out. But at that point, the witch's familiar turns on its head, and it's no longer the doctor being Davros's familiar. And now, the tables are turned, and Davros Mm. is being the doctor's familiar. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of almost got a triple meaning there. But yeah, the main one for me was. Davros toying with the Doctor. Mm. Curse of Fatal Death, Mark. I may yeah, have spoiled what you're about oh, to no, say. No, a carry little, on anyway. A few little mentions there. In the prologue, um, I just loved that they included the line about uh, look after the universe. I put a lot of work into it. That was one of my favourite bits from Curse of Fatal Death. And um, <laughs> obviously the whole sewer thing was one of and the And a bit where Missy of... strokes the baubles. Yeah, yeah. The etheric beam locators. The baubles. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> which was I, an ad lib by the actress, by the way. Was it? Yeah, I they, think she must be having a whale of a time because she's mm-hmm. getting this amazing dialogue, and she, I think she's hands down, she's got to be on a par with Delgado now as my favourite. Yeah, some people on Facebook now say, "No, oh, I think I prefer it." And obviously, there are some people saying she's the worst master there's ever been. Yeah, you can't please everyone. <laughs> I but thought, she's up there, definitely. I mm. thought one of the high points in the most recent episode was the whole thing with Clara being trapped inside the Dalek. That was is really claustrophobic. And I did wonder whether Moffat was going to really go to town and just have that somehow. I know it's not mm-hmm. the same character, but have it tie in with the asylum and have her left behind. I felt a certain twinge of history repeating itself, mm. thinking, oh my God, you know, is she kind of destined to... Yeah, it's especially horrible. when you have that face cla- off. Like you yeah. say, it was like she was claustrophobic. I was almost claustrophobic for her. Mm. And the fact that she can't tell the Doctor who she is, and Missy's obviously trying to play her little games. And <clears throat> I, just for a moment, I wondered whether... I know you couldn't really do it, because it's, it's a pretty horrible way to send her off, but I just wondered whether he was going to... Leave her there, and she'd end up in the asylum. Another eight episodes. I know, I know, I know. But um, timey wimey and all that. But no, that was. I thought that was a really impressive part of the story. I tell you a couple of things on that note. Since you've wandered well away from your head, don't know where it lives. (laughs) Welcome to my world. (laughs) Yeah, in the sewers. Well, what was the thing that kicked the episode off? I mean, last week's episode, the story kicked the story off. The Doctor thinks it's his last day. Mm. <clears throat> and so he's actually made this d- device. I keep forgetting what it's called. The Last Will and Testament device. Mm. Does anybody remember what it's called? Confession. Confession. Dial. Confession. Confession. Confession dial, that's yeah. it. In the end, he just puts it in his pocket. And the whole, this is the Doctor's last day thing. 
completely forgotten about. Mm. And so we all thought in the first episode, the Doctor's last day is because he's going to see Davros. Apparently not, as it turns out. So that is obviously... Well, seems obvious to me. Yeah. That's the arc for the series. Mm-hmm. And while it might not be the arc throughout any of the next half a dozen episodes, that's where we're going to be coming back to. Well, it's a the massive series. signpost at the end of <clears throat> The Witch is Familiar with Missy saying she's come up with a great idea. Yeah. So you know that's going to pay off later down the line. And There's also a mention of hell in that. Mm-hmm. I've only watched it once and I can't remember exactly what it was, but the mention of hell in that line of dialogue uh, as when well. When Davros is talking to the Doctor about making sure that the people on Califrey are safe, tell him to take the darkest path through hell. Or... Is that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking then this is yeah. episode 12, well, episode 11 and 12, mm-hmm. Gallifrey? It's looking that way, isn't it? <clears> but then again... You know, what Moffat's like is probably... Well, some of that dialogue between the Doctor and Davros was definitely pointing in that kind of direction. It makes you think that, doesn't it? Yeah. He must be doing a certain amount of steering, because, I mean, are we aware of whether he's going to be just doing this series and the following one? We don't know what Stephen Moffat's doing. No. No. I'm just wondering whether the steering towards what he wants to achieve... Well, if there's a gap year next year, this might be Moffat's last. The thing about when it's somebody's last season is... They don't announce it, it's their last season until the season's over. Mm. And then you get the announcement, that was my last season. You don't usually find mm. out going in. I mean, I know we've only had it once, but... We had the specials with them. Mm. Yeah, which was different. But going into season four, you didn't get any notice from Russell no. T. Davis that that was going to be his no. last one. So could be that next year Stephen Moffat does a couple of specials, then somebody else does a special before taking on the whatever. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen? Mm. We don't even know that next year is a gap year, but it's looking that way. So It'd be interesting if we see, sorry, changing the subject, see a, an overlap that Capaldi stays long <clears> enough <throat> that he starts with another. Well, no, there was a huge hint drop yesterday that this is Capaldi's last year. Oh, right, mm. okay. That Capaldi's going to be a two-series doctor. Whether that turns out to be the case or whether somebody's misinterpreted something, because I've no idea what was said, but I just read somewhere that their big hint was dropped that that was what... Well, it isn't, but anyway, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Wouldn't surprise me if it was. I said I wouldn't be surprised if he was a one-year doctor. Mm. There was an interview with Capaldi, I can't remember where it was now, and he said that um, the minute you take the job, you know that you're only going to be in it for so long and then you have to face the fact that you're not the doctor anymore. So he's talking about not being a doctor, how far down the line he's talking about, we don't know. But, <laughs> but that seemed a, a strange thing to bring up. Well, it could be. If it's a gap year again, maybe they will do what they did with Tennant. Mm. So technically, Peter Capaldi does three years, but only two series. Mm. Mm. Who knows? This is all conjecture about <laughs> oh, something yeah, no, we don't no, know anything yeah. about, really. Yeah, but, but... I'm, 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 my... My contribution was to to do with the story and whether the story's steering in a certain direction. Mm. Well, I've always said that if it's your dream job, like being the Doctor, Peter Capaldi's dream job, that doesn't mean to say you necessarily want to do it for more than a year. You get your year in, or your two years or whatever, Mm -hmm. you've done your dream job, that's, you know, it sounds a bit facetious to say that's a tick on your list, but you've done it. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the important thing. You've got to be in your dream job. And then <clears throat> it makes sense that having done that, you'd want to go off and, you know, Peter Capaldi's had a great career, but he's not had a stellar career by any stretch of the imagination. This is a, a trigger. And obviously being older, he knows 
that he's less time than somebody like Matt Smith or David Tennant. Mm. So two years as the doctor before moving on to tick a few more of those boxes while you've still got time. And I know it sounds terrible to say while you've still got time because he could have 30 years of his career left. But you know what I mean? Mm, when yeah. you're pushing towards 60... Yeah. It'd be really nice if there's been a conversation between him, him and Stephen Moffat, though, wouldn't it? They'd say, right, what, right, let's sit down. What do we want to achieve? You know, and, and I do think that, you know, possibly <clears> Stephen <throat> wants to get it to get it to Gallifrey and, and kind of tie that up and then leave that in a place for the next showrunner. And Peter Capaldi, apparently, is on the cards as an executive producer in Series 10. Now, whether Series 10 happens next year or the year after, being an executive producer on it, everybody assumes means he would have to be the doctor for it. That ain't necessarily the case. That would be so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It could be that Peter Capaldi's come in and said, right, I'll do two years in front of the cameras. And as an executive producer, he may not have... Oh, that's put chills at the back of his spine. (laughs) He may not have... (laughs) <laughs> he may not have an awful lot of say in the artistic content, yeah. but he will have some, and at least he'll have a voice at the table. Yeah. So it might be that he said, I'll do two years in front of the cameras, and then I'll move into a sort of a quiet position behind the cameras where I can still have some kind of input. Do you think he's playing the long game and this whole thing is about him actually taking over as the... Um, sure. No, <laughs> Dwas. All those years ago when he wanted to yeah. take over Dwas. <laughs> Could be. He's going to have to punch out John Davies, isn't he? <laughs> well, no, he's the editor, the president, something entirely yeah. different. Oh, okay. Current president, Colin Baker, was Nicholas Courtney up until mm. a few years ago. Yeah. And when Nicholas Courtney died, there was a vote and Colin Baker took oh, over. Right. Okay. So Colin Does... Baker's currently the president. Mm. Does the president get a sash? And Not a only a sash, <laughs> well... And a rod. He gets a rod from sash. Mm. Or something. Going back know. to the story. Yeah, yeah should we talk more about the Daleks? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't get a rash. <laughs> a rash from the sash. Um, when you were talking about the Dalek earlier uh, and and her being in it and mm. being very claustrophobic, I yeah. thought one of the. It's uh, just a sensational moment of a realization mm. that the Dalek inside could be saying anything. Yeah. But the you know the thought mm-hmm. about the actual machine and how uh, you know how you are in the machine yeah. it takes it's away an extension. You. That's just fantastic. When she gets angry, it fires the yeah. gun. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all. <laughs> it's an extension of that inhibitor we saw in Into the Dark mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's just a logical extension of that, which is I love. It's yeah. brilliant when somebody takes one idea mm. and then. Completely tangentially, but completely logically, would take that idea. Which, like you said earlier, it just gives you a totally different. Yeah. I, it gives you a completely different perspective on what they're like. Yeah, on the fact that it's a living creature yeah. inside it. But I would have said something really normal. I mean, it it, it can say, "Would you like a cup of tea?" Mm. So. <laughs> you could say anything, couldn't you? Cloud could say anything other than, help me, I love yeah, you. Yeah, but when you're panicking, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, yeah, okay. We don't mm-hmm. get tea crumpets, I suppose. I don't know, I suppose the way it works is, <laughs> and somebody pointed out somewhere on the internet that, oh, the one in the asylum, when Clara was inside that one, mm. was able to say all these things. But the point with that, darling, was that it was broken, wasn't it? Mm. So obviously these things weren't working. Mm. <laughs> it's still a great scene. and it was a The really great thing about it yeah. is that, there are trigger words that the machine refuses to translate, mm. and there are other trigger words that the machine gives you instead. So presumably the Daleks can have a very normal conversation mm. as long as they don't use any of those trigger words. Mm. And the point you, with that what, scene, yeah. just like my texting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it is. clears throat> but the point with that scene was 
when you start panicking, you're just mm, using the trigger yeah. words over and over and over again. <laughs> Damn predictive text. <laughs> <laughs> and so this Daleks just getting... But this is this is one of those brilliant things that Stephen Moffat does mm. and that Phil Ford did in um, Into the Dalek yeah. is to take something from the classic series and Russell T. Davis was doing this in um, 2005 and beyond. Take something from the classic series that is so inured into fan mythology that nobody even realises that it doesn't make sense. Mm. You're just so used to it. Yeah. You don't mm. even think about it. You know, and the the Daleks having this repetitive dialogue has mm. never made any sense because they are supposed to be yeah. living creatures. So to take something that's been going on for 52 years mm. that nobody's dropped a second yeah. thought about in all that time yeah. and to think, actually, that doesn't quite make sense. Why don't I explain it? But there are lots <clears> of people coming into the show as fans. Um, I spoke to someone... Um, just before the first episode of this series went out at work and they're in their 20s and they just said, what is a Dalek? Because they just assumed it was a robot and you had to explain that it was this creature that had been you know, involved in a nuclear war and then mutated and ended up having to be put into this machine to continue. We didn't really need to explain because it was all there up on screen this episode, basically. Exactly, yeah, but prior to the story, mm. you know, they had no idea. <laughs> Going back to my point about the sewers, I think my issue with that <clears throat> was because... Moffat has this brilliance of making his own sense and his own logic. Mm. So even when he's at his most fairy tale, there is still a logic and a sense as to why things are doing what they're doing. And that bit didn't was like, have that logic. Because he was taking somebody else's sense mm. and yeah. trying to impose... He's trying to. It's like he was trying to map his vision onto somebody else's vision and the two weren't compatible. Mm. So it sort of... It followed all the beats... But it didn't add up. Mm. <clears throat> but he's also incredibly brilliant, isn't he, at laying crumbs and things and uh, setting things up, like you say, at the beginning of an episode and then it gets revealed at the end of the season or whatever. Check out Gla- the glasses. Yeah. Mm. Hidden in plain yeah. sight right in the first episode. Why is he obsessed with these bloody glasses? Oh, yes, because basically that's going to bring the TARDIS back. Absolutely. I thought it was so funny when that happened. He caught me out, actually, all the way through this episode. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be on the ball here. I'm going to be looking out for stuff. Mm. Okay, the double, triple bluff thing with Davros and the Doctor totally yeah. threw me. Didn't get that. Mm-hmm. believe Davros is, you know, laughing and his eye opening and his crying mm. and all this oh, stuff. Oh, we're going to talk about like, that in a oh second. Oh, my God. You know, my, my heart was in my throat. See, this yeah. is amazing. What am I watching? This is classic. And then, you know, that wonderful thing with Clara in the Dalek and Missy saying, oh, say I love you, exterminate, and it was funny. Mm. And I was sort of, in, I was visibly <laughs> getting excited, and Finn was going, yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that? just to cut in just for a second, that's where I was going with that. With that one scene, Stephen Moffat has turned Daleks into a Stephen Moffat character, mm. with all the quirks and foibles <laughs> yeah, that yeah. normal Stephen yeah. Moffat characters have. Yeah. And he's done it in a way that doesn't, doesn't mess with the continuity of 52 mm. years of Doctor Who. Yeah, Brilliant. Clever. Anyway, but, sorry, but Karen. The, you know, the, uh, one of those <clears> reasons, <throat> obviously, is that Missy knew in her head, oh, this is going to be quite fun to play with the Doctor if we turn up, meet him, if we meet him mm. later. I can maybe just get him to shoot Clara. So she was already thinking about all this stuff when she put him in there, put her in there, rather, for this prisoner, yeah. you know, trick that she was going to play on the dogs. So many little wonderful, clever, logical breadcrumbs laid throughout the whole of this episode and the last one I feel like that's what he does so well mm. I don't know why apart people from, say he's making it up as he goes along apart from the attack mm. of the Dalek crap or whatever it was <clears> that was coming out of the walls <laughs> I 
I thought everything about these two episodes was just incredible. Filmic, mm. beautiful. I love the fact that it was a slow pace. I love the fact that it was two blokes talking in a room. I love the fact you could put on stage. How many characters do we have in this episode? Five. That's mm. it, isn't it? Mm. Um, we only have well, five. Don't count the Daleks. Don't we we you've got to count Dalek Supreme. Okay, Dalek Supreme. We have to count Dalek Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas. Yes, well, like actually, that. yeah, that's true. Yeah, but well, that still only makes it five. Still only makes it five. <laughs> yeah. and a little Davros, but um, <clears> that's <throat> not many people in an episode of, of Doctor Who. I've, well, the I've, little Davros thing was irrelevant. In fact, that whole subplot about the young Davros was completely mm. irrelevant to the story that we had. I was a bit confused. The thing about Mercy at the end. Yeah, this is this he... was my biggest disappointment. Okay, so this this is it, right? So he's standing there with the gun. He shoots the hands out the ground, which is yeah. very undoctor-like anyway. But anyway, he does that. Well, they're only grenades. Okay, and he shows... And he's... What's he showing the child in order for it to remember Mercy? Because that's No, he says mercy. the word. He just yeah. says the word. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Mm. Because the actual word mercy and him, he's not showing any mercy. He's not explaining why he's no, saying mercy. No, no, no. Mercy. It's the word. Right. So if you <clears> said <throat> bungle. Yeah, but that's the point. <clears throat> it's not so much about the fact that the Daleks have a concept of mercy, but that they have the word mercy in their dictionary. It's not been edited out. Mm. You know, like I was saying a minute ago about they've edited out certain trigger words. The word mercy should have been one of those trigger words that's edited out, but the word itself is still in there. This is this is kind of a, a Stephen Moffatty thing to do. <clears throat> it's about the concept, mm. but it but he's using the word as a metaphor for the concept, which is so meta is untrue because the word is a metaphor for the concept. The yeah. word by itself is just a jumble of letters. And so when the doctor speaks to Davros at the end, he gives him the word. And he says it twice even, I think, mm. if not three times, to make sure it sinks in. And if the young Davros takes anything from that conversation, from that incident, it's only that for some reason he goes through his rest of his life and the word mercy is tucked away at the back of his head. And so when he you know, builds these vocabulary, vocabulary inhibitors into the Daleks later on, mercy is a word that creeps through. Probably because odd. subconsciously yeah. he doesn't delete it. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, it is odd, but it's kind of Stephen Moffat using dialogue as a metaphor for life, and that's kind of how that scene works. It's mm. it's about the word. It's very curse of fair death, wasn't it? <clears throat> Going back in well, time yeah. to see things that happen in the future, and we know this is Stephen Moffat anyway. But yeah. it's, it's so likely it's much more likely in this one than it was right. in any other. Two things then: curse of fatal death. The idea that Davros says, it was all a trick. Jazz hands again. Yeah. <laughs> and the doctor <laughs> says... One hand, and the doctor says... <laughs> I can do it with one hand. I don't know about you. <laughs> Davros is there going, well, I'm being funny. Why You're doing you zippy. You're doing zippy. Yeah. You? <laughs> <laughs> same thing. My Bung. God. That's what we've been missing. Zippy, Davros, same yeah. thing. Mm. One I think hand. it's Bungle, though, not the one hand. Oh, yeah, anyway, that tends to be saying it. But... <laughs> Davros says, it was all a trick. And the doctor says, I know, I was tricking you too while you mm. thought you were tricking me. You've just yeah. had half an hour of absolutely scintillating character play. And then when the twist is revealed, you suddenly have this really arch bit of campery, which undermines everything brilliant that you've had for the previous half an hour. It was like, it was like you were watching Beckett. And then at the end of the play, somebody comes on with a big, cape and starts twirling his moustache 
You don't have that in Beckett. It was wrong. It was tonally wrong. Which part are we talking about? The bit where Davros says, yeah. it was a trick. And the Doctor says, I know it was a trick. I was tricking you too. <laughs> I love <clears> that bit. I think that worked. But it, I thought we were. <clears throat> The only thing I didn't I just think... thought it was too hard. I got and it was convinced. exactly the curse of fatal death where the master says, I was tricking you, and the doctor says, No, I was tricking you, and the master says, No, I was tricking you, and the doctor says, No, I really was tricking you, and the master says, No, I really was tricking you. No, I don't know, I disagree. I think it was I delivered think, fine. It was I delivered think fine. no, it was delivered well. Yeah. I'm not talking about the delivery of it, I'm talking about the authorship of it. It should have been another way to do that scene that wasn't so arch. I don't know, you'd get pretty excited, wouldn't you? If you thought that it actually all came about. Cause got no, pretty, what would have been getting, brilliant? He was getting this more is, excited, he was getting bubbly old Davros. This is Doctor <laughs> Who. This is the same character who's been William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and Tom Baker and Sylvester McCoy. The bit where Davros says, I was tricking you, the Doctor should have been, oh my God. And then in an instant thinks of something brilliant. Mm. That's how Doctor Who works. It's not... That's more of a Sylvester McCoy thing. Well, yeah, up. no. Early Sylvester McCoy, where he's Mercurial. Well, that's what they set up at the start, <clears> isn't it? When they <throat> describe how he escapes from the invisible androids. Missy's saying he just comes up with this Brilliant solution, solution in a fraction, in a fraction of, a of a second. Yeah. yeah. That's what you needed at the end. But instead of a brilliant solution in a fraction of a second, mm. you've got the Doctor doing his jazz hands and saying, oh, I was watching you all the I time. I completely missed the first and the fourth Doctor in that little section when I watched it the first time round. Oh, I missed oh. the first. I saw the fourth, but and there was light on the telly and I couldn't... I saw somebody run across the Did second one. I couldn't see Simon yeah, polishing yeah. the screen again. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Not to blame. Not to blame. Stealing my catchphrase. I, I, I didn't get that. I completely bought that at a point in time the Doctor was undecided as to what was actually going on. And maybe I'm reading into it and making sense of it in my own head, but I was completely... I was buying what Davros was saying. Mm. He was drawing on something in order for him to be able to cry. So something was going on that we'd seen him as a little boy, so we'd seen that there was a inverted commas human side to him to be able to pull on those <coughs> things. And I just think the doctor was reacting mm. in such a way when he sort of bent down and looked at him, he sort of he trying he was reading him. He was trying mm. to say, What exactly is going on here? What, what exactly is going on here? Oh it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm saying that, but there, uh, there is a logic to it that it was played out, you know. Mm. Each of them was kind of saying, I was tricking you, I was tricking you. And but then the, the thing of it is, you get to the end of it, and Davros says, I was tricking you, and the Doctor says, I know you were tricking me, I was tricking you. But it turns out he wasn't, because the thing that happens with the Daleks and the sewers, right, yeah. is a deus ex machina, basically. Mm. In spite mm. of the fact that it's been flagged up earlier, which but makes it more of a Chekhov's gun, it's still not something that the Doctor has done. maybe that is still the flaw, though, rather than... <clears throat> what you're saying I, I what I'm think... saying is the Doctor hasn't solved it Davros brings this great big twist into the story mm. and the Doctor says I knew this was coming I've done something about it and obviously he doesn't say I've done something about it he says I knew this was coming and so therefore I've got a contingency but the Doctor's contingency has got absolutely nothing to do with the Doctor well, apart from it being the regeneration yeah, energy, it was going to happen but... anyway yeah. Right. I it was, if I it was going to happen to the Daleks upstairs, it was going to happen to the Daleks downstairs. And so the Doctor has not but brought didn't he know that, that about. But didn't wasn't that a point? He <clears> knew that. Yeah, the point why... was he knew it, mm. but he didn't affect it. It wasn't something that he proactively did to resolve mm. the story. The resolution was part of the problem. You know, the, the 
regeneration energy goes into all the Daleks at the same time. So the problem and the resolution. And hoist by their own petard, fair enough. Mm. Sometimes that can be a good way to end a story. But if you're going to have the big twist with the villain saying, I was tricking you, and the hero saying, I know, you know, the resolution needs to be something that the hero the, then proactively does to yeah. counter the trick that's been played on him. It was still so well done, though, wasn't it, after that point? I think also, you know, with, uh, with, with the Doctor doing what he did at the end, he was waiting. I mean, if we could have had a story where Davos just died, and then it's like, okay, what does the Doctor do now? Well, I could kill, kill all the Daleks, or shall I just leave? So we, we needed something else. So obviously Dal- Davos was going to turn around and start going, <laughs> I got you! But um, I think maybe the Doctor was going along with it in the hope that you know he, he looks That's for redemption in anyone. Small doesn't hope he? of redemption, yeah, yeah. small hope. Mm. You know, the eyes were open. So he was, was going, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The great thing about it was that <clears throat> it looked like Stephen Moffat was going to do a remembrance of the Daleks and kill everything off. Yeah, and actually, and especially with Davros, with it being his last day potentially, we thought that was going to be it for Davros. And if we ever saw him again, it would have to be earlier in his timeline. Mm. And the brilliant thing was, at the end of that story, although death and destruction is raining down, or raining up... You know he's going to get away. ...on Scarrow, Scarrow's still there. City, you know, parts of the city might be in desolation, but the city itself is mm. still effectively exists. Mm. Daleks will have escaped. Davros has probably escaped. Mm. It's kind of... And he's <clears> got a bit more regenerative power. He's got mm. power back. He's, he's <clears> stronger <throat> Stephen Moffat's kind of reset it so that the okay. Daleks can just be the force that they were back in the 1970s and mm. 80s, mm. say, for example. And I was expecting my son to point out that the early Daleks were a bit rubbish. He normally points little bits out and goes, oh, that's not too good. It didn't even occur to him to say anything along those lines. So, you know, you can whack any Dalek from any age into Doctor Who now, I think mm. you could get away with it. Mm. So you could have Peter Capaldi going back in time and seeing the old style Dalek. Have we seen just... a special weapons Dalek? Like, it's thing light up. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, uh, no, uh, no, no, I think so. so. That was lovely, that. He had a lovely little mm. He had a moment. <laughs> he did have a little moment. That was, uh... yeah, he can talk, which <laughs> I was quite impressed with. That was <laughs> Stephen Moffat fan servicing. He just know. says gun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did we like um, Davros out of his chair? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. With no legs. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the little whatever that was that was twitching. Uh, that wasn't the, right, was it? And the wires. <laughs> yeah. Was there comedy as well where he wakes up and he's like, it took me a lot to procure it. Yeah. The only other chair on Sky. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. That was one of the funniest lines that's yeah. ever been in the yeah. like 52 years. This is the thing. It was so much good. Mm. These little dips. Yeah. But, but Davros's character, you know... Julian Bleach had taken Michael Wisher and he's just moved him into a, another area. It's just yeah. it's one of my favourite Everybody's been saying so he's good. the best Davros since Michael Wisher, but like, with this, he completely outdid this even is, Michael this Wisher. Is, if this was a film, that's Oscar-worthy <clears throat> performance. I couldn't find any fault in his performance whatsoever. It was, no, it was so the kind of good. Thing, I mean, in another universe, that was the kind of performance you get from Anthony Hopkins in Shadowlands, right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. And for it to all be a trick is just another level of brilliance on the performance. And the fact yeah. they were both laughing for a moment at, <clears throat> at what was quite yeah, yeah. A, f- a funny moment as well. And Daryl opens his eyes, which is absolutely yeah. heresy, mm. but at the same time was just perfect and yeah. appropriate and mm. 
You know, oh, you can't I was laughing that. out loud. I was thinking, <coughs> yes, going to get so many complaints about this. And, like, why not? Because we wait well, for two years. I saw a couple of people years. said online, I didn't look at a lot of people's things before I did this, but um, that somebody said, I stopped watching when he started crying. I couldn't watch anymore. And I just thought, we should have carried on because it would have made yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah so. <sighs> well, couldn't watch it because it was too. Because it, well, it was too sappy. Yeah, Davros is cry. Davros and too cry. heretical, presumably as well. Yeah. But the yeah, reason but why he does it, the it, reason why he opens his eyes, is to trick the doctor into giving his regeneration energy when he can't open his eyes five minutes later. Yeah, mm. The crying, the laughing, and the eye opening—it was all to convince. The real part of the trick. Yeah. yeah. yeah mm. But I do think he was drawing. It makes sense in my head, character-wise, in that he was drawing on emotions that were there. Yeah. But then he kicked in his survival. In order to procure oh, yeah. the doctor's regeneration energy. So do you know what the clever thing is? Is that he wasn't saying that, you know, he wasn't. He didn't have humanity. He was still completely protecting the Daleks. Mm. He utterly yeah, believes yeah. in his cause. But mm, he was yeah. basically saying, well done, Doctor, you've, you've, you've survived, you've won, because you've got Gallifrey back, and I've lost. But, you know, I totally admire you, mm. even though I'm an absolute yeah, I, mean, I don't know how, how history played out. I imagine that Hitler... Shed a few tears when he realised he was defeated. Surely. Oh yeah, of course. So he's still a human being, in spite of being, you know, probably the most evil human being, whatever. Yeah, <clears throat> but that's I think that's you know, if you when you look at Mein Kampf and things like that, it's the same kind of thing. Their total utter belief mm. in what he is doing is right, and that was played out with with Davros and Peter Capaldi. His doctor could have just said, "I don't really care. Why am I even listening to you?" You know, it didn't matter because it was his last moment. <clears throat> you know, and he was crying and he was opening his eyes and he was laughing and. This, all this was happening and it felt very real. When Davros the was saying... It was just gorgeous. Mm, when Davros yeah. was saying, I'm pleased for you, yeah. something in my head went, this ain't right. Yeah. And then you yeah. just go with it because yeah. there's yes. another five or ten yeah. minutes where yeah. it gets... You know, when he, when he convinces him yeah. and he convinces you in the audience mm. as well. Exactly. <clears throat> Brilliant. I just, I just wasn't sure. I, I mm. literally didn't know where it was going to go. So I was in a way kind of disappointed that it did go the way it did. The other thing I saw a couple of people saying was it felt like more like a classic story, and I think that was down to the timing, wasn't it, that they actually took, mm, took advantage yeah. of that two-part, and it space. really worked. And, yeah. and to give that time, that also reflected the Genesis thing, didn't it, the Davros Doctor? Yeah. It was, dynamic. again, a very different episode from mm, last week's. Mm, mm. Last week's. Last week's was, by no means, fast, and a lot of people have complained about how long that guitar stuff went on for. Mm. But last week's felt... <clears throat> Dynamic, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. and this week's felt anything but. Apart from those scenes with Missy and Clara on the planet's mm-hmm. surface, which is glorious, and the master finally gets to meet Davros as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. There's, one in, there's one in your eye. <laughs> Did you do laugh? Yeah. That was good. I expect uh, that was another little ad lib by the actress. Uh, what she did say, our Pokemon scratches eye out. Didn't yeah. She? It was mm. the first yeah. Now, it now, 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 now. Sunglasses. Mm. How do we feel about the sunglasses? Fine. Screwdriver's gone. Sunglasses. Uh, yeah, only for I a minute. It'll sun- come yeah, back. I, I think, think it's just a. Yeah. This feels to me like a Peter Capaldi thing. Mm. Where Peter Capaldi. He's obviously got more of the ear of the showrunner than most actors playing the part, especially ones like Matt Smith who come in not knowing much about the series. This feels to me like Peter Capaldi has said to Stephen Moffat, look, I know we have to have the screwdriver, but it's too prevalent. I feel we get too much of it. Is there some way we can get rid of the screwdriver without getting rid of the screwdriver? Because you still need its functionality. And, you know, the Doctor 
in this day and age, and I'm talking about in the time mm. the stories are written, wouldn't be without something that functions yeah. the same way for him as our smartphones work. There will us, be another right? screwdriver. Yeah, there will eventually. Yeah, you know there will but just maybe for a few episodes mm. of the series, you've got something that has something of the functionality so that if you need it in a plot point in a story, you mm. can use the sunglasses instead. It's Colin Baker's Sonic Lance. <clears throat> it's something oh. that can be tucked away in a pocket, <laughs> just like the screwdriver can. And that can be brought out and used if and when necessary. Mm. But unlike the screwdriver, where there's a tendency to bring it out and wave it about, mm. you don't do that with sunglasses. That character options are like, <clears throat> what are you doing that for? Because anyone can have sunglasses. My God, the kids can just go and get a pair of sunglasses. Won't buy a blinking. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah, but they'll have little buttons on which make yeah, you get a yeah. you get a pair of Ray Bans with a red button in the corner yeah. and there's your yeah. okay. And besides he has had the Sonic screwdriver and probably will do again at some yeah, point. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's gonna happen. That's the only thing that hasn't really been I thought was gonna be explained is mm. how Davros was gonna be in possession of a Sonic screwdriver all that time and hadn't stolen the technology. Well you came up you you Gave us an idea the mm. other week, didn't you? That, Did oh, you? yeah, it's a, like a teenager, you know, he's had it on his, his person for 10 years. It's kind of like a, a good luck charm or whatever. He probably stuck in his door somewhere. He says about it slowly come back to me. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Episode, he Davros remembers because he's come back. That's what he says right at the start. Right. Davros remembers mm. and now he wants to see you about it. Okay. Yeah. And that's the thing about telling a story that is taking place in different time streams for different peoples. Different people, different people. Mm. For Davros, it's something that's been lost in his memory for hundreds, if not thousands of years. For the Doctor, this thing that he did to Davros, yeah. to turn Davros into the creator of the Daleks, happened like yesterday. Mm. Yeah. So this is <clears throat> brand new for the Doctor and an entire lifespan's worth for Davros. Girl in fireplace again. Yeah, it's an astonishing way to tell a story because even if you're, <clears throat> even if you're writing a time travel series... To have an idea like that, that for one character it's now, and for another character it's been forever, and to actually work out in your head the disparity between how the two characters feel about that. Like the Doctor is all of a sudden carrying this guilt. And as an audience member, you're thinking to yourself on some kind of subliminal level, why has the Doctor not been carrying this guilt for all these years, like Davros has been carrying this anger, because it's only just happened for yeah. the Doctor. Yeah. It's just and totally by accident. <clears throat> Which war is yeah. this? Oh, it doesn't mm. matter. What's mm. your name? Davros. Oh, yeah, crap. yeah. <laughs> but it's just like it's an uh, you know when you write because we've all written short stories and what have you. When you're writing a short story, you know you have ideas, but those ideas that are that deep, if you like, I don't mean deep in a profound way, but I mean deep in a. It comes from somewhere inside you that you really have to dig it out kind of a way. You know, those are not the kind of ideas that just spring into your head. You know, it takes a lot of work mm. to... You know, you can have the idea, oh, Doctor suddenly does this, but to actually be able to picture in your head yeah. what those characters are thinking and feeling about it, it takes a lot of work. It does, and a lot of guts to hit <clears> that <throat> as well. Stephen Moffat's got a lot of guts. Right, the, the other problem I had... Well, I'm not. You know, well, I got all my predictions wrong from last week about how this story was going to go. Mm-hmm. You remember, mm-hmm. I was saying I thought it was going to be that they were dead, and he was having to change, you know, do a continuity yeah. errors on mm-hmm. it, change time to, and somehow bring that back. And it's not a disappointment to be wrong about something because 
you know, if you think you know what something's going to be and it turns out not to be that, that's a pleasant surprise, right? Mm. It means you get to see an episode that you weren't expecting to get to see. But having said that, the thing that I did think was, I don't know if disappointing is the right word, but it felt like, well, you know what I always say about you've got to pay off on the things you set up Mm. and, you know, everything you're going to pay off you have to set up. It felt like episode two wasn't paying off the things that episode one was setting up. In technical terms, you know, he laid lots of little nuggets in episode one that paid off in episode two. Mm. But in terms of the story, the story that he was setting up in episode one wasn't the story he was telling in episode two. Do you know what I mean? Episode one starts and ends with Davros, the young Davros. And if you're going to start and end with something like that, and then put something in between those two things that fits in with that, so that it looks like that's where you're going, that's kind of where you've got to go, because that's what you've set up. And with the whole young Davros thing being essentially nothing more than an irrelevant subplot Mm. that didn't have any effect on the story. I mean, the only sort of... He did though, didn't he? Because Mercy came into it in the end. Yeah, but that's what I mean. That was a subplot. It saved Clara's life, but that was a subplot that had nothing to do with what Davros and the Doctor were doing in that room. So on the day we're recording this, they put out a omnibus version on BBC One in the afternoon. So do you think he actually looked at it as one complete story rather than... No, the reason they put out an omnibus is because at the time they were writing this, they had no idea England were going to be playing Wales in the World (laughs) Cup at the same time as episode two was going out. And I think last week was the opening match of the World Cup as well or something, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? So both of those first two episodes have been hit. Wasn't it an edit that was done for the the, uh, preview anyway? Oh, it could have been, so therefore the yeah. edit existed. Mm. But the reason they've done it is because England were playing Wales. I mean, this is a World Cup, and to have two of the home nations playing each other, mm. that's obviously, well, eight and a half million people watch that live, whereas only three and a half watch Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, BBC aren't saying, oh, we'd put on the omnibus in order to bump up our viewing figures. They put on the omnibus because they know a lot of people that would have wanted to watch a Doctor Who probably wouldn't bother on the iPlayer, so they're saying, well, here's a chance for you to catch it just on the deli. So, it's, you know, just... You don't think that was set up way back and he was looking at it structurally as one big story. I know when you have multi-part stories, they're considered one whole story, but most of the, certainly all the new Who ones I can think of, they are two discrete stories that are linked rather than necessarily... A continuation. Which is what, yeah, you've said. Well, certainly in Moffat's yeah. ones, anyway. <clears throat> yeah, yeah but I Moffat... mean, if, if you're going to have a like a film version, hour mm. and a half, then you'll be still seeing Unit and still seeing mm. elements of the first 40 minutes. Yeah, you? what It'll Moffat kind of... does is he tends to have a different tone in either of the episodes or have yeah. a different location in either of the in either of the two episodes. Mm. But the story itself is a continuation. Mm. In this, it felt like... The first episode was a deception, mm. and the second episode was a different story. So it mm. really feels to me like it functions as two entirely separate episodes, mm. Mm. which you know, I don't think is necessarily a problem. But by the same token, part of me thinks what happened to the story that he was telling in episode one that just turned into a subplot in episode two, you know, mm. and it doesn't. 
You know, nothing in what Missy and Clara and the young Davros did in the second episode mm. had any effect whatsoever on the plot with the Doctor and Davros and Davros no, playing I think, the trick. I think the fact that you see him as a boy and as a vulnerable boy means that, again, you buy into that business where he was crying. I mm. think that all part is part it of it. It helps, part. for yeah. sure. Mm. But in plot terms, it doesn't... And there is... <clears throat> and you could say that there is an element of what happened to Davros on that field at the end mm. that is paying off in the character of the Daleks insofar as that they aren't robots and that they aren't perfect and that for 50-odd years we've been seeing these creatures that aren't these things, except for the last 50-odd years we haven't really been seeing creatures that aren't these things because, you know, most people, including Terry Nation, have basically written them as robots. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I think is a minor miracle, changing the subject slightly, is that after 50 years somebody is able to bring something new to the Daleks? It's quite, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. quite an achievement, really. Well, this is the thing. When people say, oh, you should get rid of the Daleks. No, you should just make sure that when you write a Dalek story, you yeah. put your thinking cap on and do something worthwhile. Mm, mm. And I think the best Dalek stories we've had um, have been the two with Davros in. Journey's End? Yeah, I love... Yeah. yeah, yeah it's absolutely. not a good Dalek story, though. It's, no, it's got Davros and a Daleks, so to me it's a good Dalek story. But it's not a good story. It's full of flash and bang, but as a story, it's pants. It's not pants, it's brilliant. Dr. Oh. Donna, brilliant. <laughs> the biggest Two deus ex machina of the new series. Brilliant. <laughs> Everything no. about it, brilliant. Toe well, in the best earth, Dalek brilliant. stories. Wilf Swiggle, brilliant. Oh, I don't like the Toe in the Earth. No, the best, no, shut up. The best Dalek <laughs> stories we've had have been Asylum, Into the Dalek, this, and Daleks in Manhattan. No. Because well, you, they've all... You think all three of those are better in what way than Journey's End? As stories, because they've all looked at what the Daleks are and said, right, what can we extrapolate out of this? Journey's End didn't do any of that. It just had the Daleks running around killing people and stealing planets. It didn't add anything to the Dalek mythology. And it didn't come out of a place that was logical and coherent to the Dalek mythology. It was just a lot of flash, bang and wallop. thought we might mention Dalek from Series 1. No, that didn't do anything new, not really. I mean, mm. it had... No, the thing that that did that was new was like a, a sidestep, as opposed to... <clears throat> it, rather than being taking what the Daleks are and extrapolating something out of it, mm. what they did with Dalek was take what the Daleks are and did something different with it. It didn't extrapolate out of the Daleks. And established them for the new series as well. Well, it did, but only as a concept. Mm-hmm. And sort of, if you're... And the whole sort of, the Dalek wants to see the sun for one last time and all this kind of stuff, is kind of a dead end. That was a nice parallel, when you think about it, wasn't it? It suddenly occurred to me. Mm. With Davros wanting to see the, the sunlight. I know, yeah. I know it was all kind of a ruse. But... conscious. Yeah. Nice, though. Hmm. No, journey, Stolen Earth and Journey's End, it's very spectacular, but it doesn't add up to a lot. You know me, I like twinkly lights. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a magpie. <laughs> <laughs> and look, there's one thing about... Davros being the witch in The Witch's Familiar, that most people are going to be saying, screaming at their headphones and saying, what are you talking about, JR? Davros is not a witch. But 
A witch, at the most fundamental level, is somebody, and this could be either a white witch or a black witch, so we're not saying whether it's for good or bad, somebody who at a fundamental level is attempting alchemy, right? Using spells to take one thing and turn it through a process of magic into something else. And at a most fundamental level, Davros took a human being and turned it into a Dalek. So in some ways he performed a kind of alchemy. So on a technical level, Davros is a witch in those mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know whether that's what Stephen Moffat was thinking, but it makes a kind of a sense. Is that, it was two very odd titles. They were two odd titles. So quite, yeah. you know, it's metaphorical. Whereas the other ones, the Dalek Asylum, dinosaurs on a spaceship, yeah, yeah, town yeah. called Mercy. Well, it's like, it's <laughs> like, like really obvious. <clears throat> but it's like Genesis of the Daleks. So what would you have called it if it was going to be a Dalek-centric title then? What's a good title for it? What, this, what yeah. both or one of them? I suppose both of them, really. Or an overarching title for the pair, maybe. Turds of the Daleks? I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it has well to, they get killed by the turds. Don't, don't forget, it has to begin with the letter <laughs> R and it has to come out of the Bible. <laughs> Regeneration. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. Regeneration of the Daleks. Mm. That's quite a good one. Mm, Gives Simon. it away, though, doesn't it? That's a totally next story. Well done. <laughs> Copyright Simon Brett, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Any more? Anything else? Missy, we've not talked a lot about Missy. She had some great dialogue. Missy was in danger, though, of becoming a little bit pantomime, a bit over the top. But she just reined in just mm. enough. There are a few moments where she's, like, dancing to the dialogues, talking mm -hmm. and stuff like that, where I'm thinking, mm, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, she's so cocksure of herself, mm. and she's always got, like you say, contingency yeah. plan up her sleeve. Oh, she's she like mentions a daughter, doesn't she? The fans will all be going... I know, so, no, I laughed at that. Well, if the doctors had children, there's no yeah, reason the master yeah, yeah, yeah. have their contemporaries and the yeah. master's daughter. And don't forget, you know, the master, as a bloke, he was in and out. The in and out Oh, here's a question. <laughs> here's most, a question. a few women in his time. Lee, <laughs> put your fingers in your ears. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, what, really? This character we're going to meet in five and six. Is that the master's daughter? No. Mm. Right, fingers out of ears. Because I just threw that one in there as a game. One of my favourite lines from the first episode is where uh, Clara realises that she's not the Doctor's best friend, it's actually Missy, and she points at the couple walking the dog <laughs> and she says, you're the dog. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. Well, I don't know, I mean, she's she's complex. There's, there's a new complex um, arrangement between the Doctor and her, you know, explained in the first episode about, the, mm. about friendship, the way Time Lords see friendship is different to the way the rest of the universe sees it. Mm. So her idea of, uh, of friendship is so odd and strange yeah, and yeah. alien. Yeah, but there's also the but psychology of the stalker about her, I think, mm. as well, where she's, you know, she's in this, this, this belief system whereby, you know, she believes that the, the, the Doctor feels the same about her as she does about it. You mm. know, I mean, yeah, there's a connection because they're the, supposedly the last Time Lords, or at least the only two are kind of at, at large. Well, there's, but there's a bizarre twisted respect, respect from her side. Mm. She utterly believes that, you know, what she's doing is going to impress him somewhere along the line. Mm. Well, there's, there's a great Mo moment. Davos was the same in this, so it's quite mm. a... There's a great moment where she says about, you know, and we mentioned it earlier on, where she says about the Doctor can do that calculation in his head mm. and it would take me weeks or whatever it she, mm. she mm. says. Mm. And that is like... 
the moment where she marks out her respect for him, as mm-hmm. it were, as opposed to just having it. She's kind of... But her role in this story, you know, and I've said it several times, but her role in this story was really irrelevant. And I thought that was... She's sort of at the same level as Madeleine Monk, isn't she? She's almost like a... Not even yeah. that. No, no, because he, he was proactive in that story. In this... Well, mm. not in the Dalek Master Plan. <clears throat> but in this story, after Dark Water and Death in Heaven, where I thought Stephen Moffat took the character of the Master, by making it a woman, and by doing a story in which her plan was something that was completely counter to the types of plans she'd had before, where everything was sturm und drang and taking things by force. I thought that was an exceptional way to go with the character. And in this story, we've seen more of that side of her character, the deference and the respect and the wanting to impress him, but we've not actually seen her do anything. No, but I think, I'm hoping, like mm. Mark pointed out earlier, that she's taking a lot of info from these last two episodes, these adventures, that will and she's going to that will turn 12. up somewhere else. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's going to happen. Because, oh, you know, it seems for sure. There yeah. was a, you know, when they're in front of the tank and the <clears> three of them end up going to Scaro, it's like, why is Missy bothering? So there must be a reason. I'm hoping yeah. there's a reason, otherwise, there's a massive thread. Well, lost. It's, it looks to me like it has to be. And. You know, you won't know this, Lee, but no need for fingers and ears, it's not a spoiler. When Al and I did the preview for Series 9 episode, we both said we thought that Episode 12 was actually going to be the second half of Episode 1, in many ways. And I don't mean directly, but I mean a lot of stuff set up in Episode 1 would be to pay off in 12. And maybe it won't be in terms of an arc Mm. this time, you know, with things threaded through the series, so much as just basically one is the first half of both 2 and of 12. And in many ways, I mean, it looks from this point as if that is how it's going to transpire. So maybe my disappointment with Missy now will not be a disappointment then when we finally get to see what maybe she was thinking about all along. But Mm -hmm. she did feel like a loose limb in this episode. I think, I mean, who drove the tank? That's what I want to know. I bet the doctor's in the tank. Or Missy. Mm-hmm. The doctor's come back in five minutes tank. in the future. Controlling tank with his sunglasses. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Lovely bit where, um, tank. where Missy knocks Clara into the uh, sewer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots and lots of great little touches mm-hmm. in this. And Although overall, you, would have, you, you would have broken your ankle falling that like death. In no shoes. No, no. But. How many times have we seen that in Doctor Who and other things <laughs> as well? All right, let's... Perry would have bounced. Oi! Hey. What you like? On what? Her ankles? All right, let's, trampoline. Let's, let's give it a score, shall we? And maybe a bit of a summing up as well. I seem to have come up with lots and lots of complaints in spite of the fact that I actually... Yeah, really... you old misery. Yeah, I thought it was a great we've, episode. We've become accustomed it. to some... Really consistent stories, and and no, I'm in agreement with you. In as much as that, I I thought it just wasn't as consistent. It was like so when we, we have been spoiled. I when we review, reviewed Listen, I said then that I thought Listen was like the third part of a trilogy where Stephen Moffat takes something out of the past of Doctor Who and uses it as it as kind of a metaphor for itself and spins a story about the element he's brought out of the past. And not necessarily a specific element, but a, a sort of a theme of the series or a feeling that goes with the series. 
and listen and the day of the doctor and I can't remember what the other one I said name of the doctor must have been and all these things yeah name of the doctor yeah. and all yeah. these things were they were kind of metatextual episodes that were actually about the series in as much as they were about anything at all but at a more fundamental level than something like the five doctors for example and this to me felt like Stephen Moffat was doing another one of those but having used up all his gas on the first three, had gone for the metatextual thing, but at a less fundamental level. So that he was, instead of taking a feeling or a theme of the series, he was taking a specific story element of the series and trying to spin that Stephen Moffat-y type Listen Day of the Doctor episode around a specific thing. And that was maybe where it didn't quite work as well as those other episodes had, because it felt... A little bit more shallow, mm, mm. perhaps. Everybody's falling asleep. No, no, no. Right. No. I was just staring at the um, the handprints on your window, and beyond the window, obviously, is the dark fields. And I just, you know, they look like <laughs> claw marks on the. <laughs> All right, Lee. Well. Anyway, mark out of ten. Um, I'm tempted to give this a ten out of ten because I enjoyed every single element of it. But sitting here after hearing about. Turd of the Daleks kind of falling a bit flat on his face and, and everybody going, mm. and it's maybe gone, mm. so I'm going to give it a nine. All right, fair enough. Mark? I think it's another eight. I think this is, the way I see it, Moffat's certainly going by these two episodes. He's going for the fans rather than the casual audience. I think there's a lot of... As you said, fan service, which I'm not complaining about. I think it's great. Normally, um, he does it in a way that, and yeah. he did it. He did it. To be fair, here he did it in a way that any casual viewers watching mm-hmm. could understand the story. But he did it in a way that made them perhaps slightly less invested in the story. Yeah. So very enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to seeing the Merca next week. <laughs> <laughs> Shimon. I think I'll go along with the last episode, really, which is a seven and a half. So, uh, high I'll seven and a half or low seven and a half? Can I give it a bit more just for the Davos and Doctor thing? No, yeah, it deserves it, doesn't it? I'll go, it to, does. eight. I'll go to an eight then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I was an eight in my review, and I'll still be an eight now mm. because. You don't have to listen to me. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm not going to let it spoil the whole episode because of a couple of niggles. So, um, yes, no, it was. The parts that were strong were the really, good really stuff strong. Was so mm. good, yes. yeah, that it really was, you know, absolutely ten out of ten material. Mm. But mm. the bad stuff, in spite of there not being that much of it, was in a way so bad that it kind of dragged down the overall feeling of it. Mm. I mean, that mm. bad stuff was kind of a lot of it's felt superficial, but it is stuff that shouldn't have been superficial. The resolution to the story should have been better hmm. so it kind of you know that that eight is a really high eight for the really mm. good stuff but at the same time it's really low eight for the really bad I stuff. think it'll be interesting to look back on these stories when we get to the end of this series and see if we still feel the same way about them yeah and whether we'd still mark them the same mm. well this one's just I suppose I suppose one thing that happens with Doctor Who and this is particularly true of the classic series is that you forgive it its faults mm. once you become you know, once you've seen the story enough times that you just go, oh, this bit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I suppose at that kind of a level, you know, in five or ten years' time, we'll be looking back on this story and we'll be forgetting all the complaints. 
that I've made about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but forgotten already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe by the end of the series, it'll be the same. Mm. I do think, I do think there was enough in the story that it will be held in especially high regard in years to come. And I've and this is, you know, every time there's a Stephen Moffat episode, you'll go on something like Facebook or on the forums. And the usual crowd will be saying, oh, it's just as bad as all his stories. And the other usual crowd will be saying, oh, it's just as good as all his other stories. And there's always an element that wavers. There's every time, listen, Day of the Doctor, even Death in Heaven, whatever. There's always an element that says, I hate Moffat, but I really enjoyed that. Or there's another element that says, oh, I love Moffat, but I really didn't think that was much good. Mm. And, you know, in the last sort of 24 hours this story I've seen way more people saying oh I hate Moffat but this was really good than mm. I usually do even more than listen and probably even more actually than Day of the Doctor which seems to be the one episode that really brought that feeling out so I think this will go down as a classic mm. Mm. but you know like Genesis I think it's a flawed classic I'm always surprised when Genesis turns up in the top 10 because the brilliant bits are so good, it deserves to be there. Yeah, it isn't but the bad bits are yeah. so bad, it really doesn't. <laughs> and I think this is exactly the same thing all over again. So maybe he put those bad bits in as an homage <laughs> to the know, original. Yeah, yeah, he's that clever. There was wow. no, no bloody clam, though, was there? Well, there was reference to the clams in the first episode. Was there? Yeah. Yeah. control with the critics. When though. he was about to go into the hand minefield, mm. he said uh, something... One of the two, um, Khaled, said... Oh, we better be careful because I've heard the clam bombs around us. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I even said that to Finn. I said, no, he said clam bombs. I didn't even think about mm. the fact. Yeah, of course. Oh, that's brilliant. I want to see the clam bombs. <laughs> well, I don't think they're going to be as good as the hand lines, though. That's oh, the trouble. No, bring out the clam bombs. <laughs> um, before we go, just to change the subject entirely, I don't know whether you three are aware, but. Um, Phil Morris was on stage this weekend oh, in yeah, Bristol yes. and finally told the story of what had happened to the Web of Fear Part 3. Very interesting. Go on then. You don't know this, Lee. No, I don't know so. this. Okay, Web of Fear 3 was with the others in Nigeria. The reason he didn't say as much was because in between it being found and those episodes being shipped over to the UK, Web of Fear Episode 3 went walkies. So he doesn't know where it is, and obviously since that happened, he's been trying to track down what's happened to it. Mm. There's, I mean, if you read into it, there's maybe suspicious circumstances in the station where the station master possibly took it and maybe sold it on to somebody else, because presumably, having already promised the others, you know, to go back to the BBC, he just chanced his arm and said, right, I'll take one and see if I can get some money for it or whatever. That looks like that's possibly what's happened. Nobody really knows. But, I mean, this is why for the last sort of two years, two and a half years, Phil Morris has had to keep secrets and and has not been able to say, you know, when people have said to him, have you found more Doctor Who? He's always said it's complicated. I can't mm. say, well, because, yes, he did find more Doctor Who, but we didn't get it because it went missing. Somebody nicked it. Mm. So it's a case of there, but for Did the grace of God. Did they nick it because they knew what it was, or they nicked it because they just thought it was a shiny case of it's something? Obviously worth something. Who knows? Mm, who knows? You know, my theory on it is that you know, if it was important to him, Phil Morris, the man who turned up at the station, to say, right, 
these 12 episodes. I've got to get these back to the mm-hmm. UK. If somebody says, right, if it's that important to him, it must also be that important to other people. And so maybe just said, right, we'll send the others. I'll just take one out and see what I can get for it. Maybe. Who knows? <sighs> he must you know, be devastated. Well, yeah, and I've said all along what he's doing must be so frustrating mm. because, you know, you walk into an archive and you see complete web of fear, complete enemy of the world on the shelf. And this is, I think he said, this was sometime in 2011. And as far as I'm aware, those episodes weren't shipped back to the UK until about December 2012. Mm. So presumably there's something like, something in the region of 18 months between him seeing those episodes in that archive and actually having them safely in his hands. Eight months when all 12 of those episodes could have gone missing you know yeah. thank god it's only one yeah but my god how close did we come to having a complete yeah. web of fear and to think that web of fear 3 does mm. exist or at least did in 2011 and we may never get to see it is just it's really really sad mm. Mm. but what can you do? Well, that's left us on a proper downer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still hope. There's still hope. Well, yeah, yeah it gives, gives tremendous hope. Um, well, there's more hope for Web of Fear 3 now than mm. there was before mm. he found it in the archive. So how come he was a, he's past a certain time where we can talk about it now? Is he? No, I think he's just realised that two and a half years down the line, maybe all his leads have run out and he's just... And I think that there's been a lot of fans on the internet on his back about the fact Mm. that he's not been talking about stuff. And I think he's just said, look, two and a half years later, three years later, whatever, four years since he first, you know, it was first discovered in the archive. If it was 2011, I think somebody said he said that. You know, he's probably just thought to himself, I'm not going to get it the way it's going if I advertise the fact that it's out there Mm. with a bit of luck. The person who does have it will turn around and say, okay, fair enough. Here it is. Because the level of going softly, softly with it in, in order to try and get it mm. in the most... Um, There's only so way. much you can do. And I think you just thought, I'm at the end of what I can do. Mm. Let's put it Time out to there. try another yeah. tack. Put it out there in the world and see if mm. that'll make a difference, maybe. Mm. We know it's there, though. You know, unless... It, unless at some point, it's been destroyed since then because that's a possibility as well, you know. But but to all somebody, intents and purposes, spilt some gravy on it, and that's it. But to all intents and purposes, it's out there, so there's more of a chance of us seeing is seeing it now than there was four years ago. Hmm. So were you there? Were you? No, no, no. no oh, no. okay. No, this is all reported on the internet. Mm-hmm. I think he's brave to tell the story. And already there's conspiracy theorists saying, no, he's made this up. Mm. <clears throat> <laughs> but patently, he hasn't. But, I mean, I think it's brave of him to go and actually own up to this because I, I, thought, I thought the reaction to him admitting to this story would be that a lot of people would say, well, A, why the hell didn't you tell us before? And B, why the hell didn't you make sure it was safe when you had the chance? The thing is, he probably didn't have the chance. You know, he doesn't no. walk into that archive and they wrap them up in nice wrapping paper and give them to him and then it's on him that it went missing it was on somebody else that it went missing I'm sure there's a lot of it is complex isn't it you don't just walk in and walk out with them there's negotiations there's all kinds of things like I say it looks like there was something in the region of 18 months between the two things happening by the look of it what can you do but 
Because there was, there was a story at one point, wasn't there, about them finding three, but it wasn't in the best of conditions or something? Where did oh, that, that was just That was just crappy fan rumour. People right. speculated. That's one of those things where somebody says, oh, why was Weber 3 not there? Oh, it must have been. Well, why haven't we had it then? It's probably ruined. Mm. And somebody says, it's probably ruined. And somebody else says, oh, that's the explanation. And then the next time they repeat it, they repeat it as a fact. Mm. But no. Mm. Bobbins. <laughs> Somebody would say, "Oh, we have an email. Shall sure. I do an email? Yeah, do the email." God, we seem to be going on rather late. Um, let me just call it up. Uh, here we go. This is from Miles. He says, "Hello, boys." There was one from Sharakjes, but it was far too rude to be read out on a podcast. <laughs> He's getting worse and worse. We had to ditch his last one as well because it was just too rude. <laughs> Hello boys, so we're back and with something of a bang too. What a stunning episode. Oh, of course this was sent before last night, so mm-hmm. this would just be about the first. What a stunning episode The Magician's Apprentice was. Gripping, dramatic and beautifully written. Peter Capaldi now seems very comfortable in the role of the Doctor and he had some glorious scenes. The one in the spacecraft where he explains to Clara who Davros is was particularly well acted, I thought. Speaking of great acting, kudos to pretty much everyone here. Jenna was as good as we've become accustomed to. Michelle Gomez was slightly more restrained as Missy, and the performance benefited as a result, and Julian Bleach is giving Michael Wisher a run for his money with this portrayal here. I think he's running for it, to be honest, after this week's. Unit didn't do much, but that was never the point. Their time will presumably come in a few weeks when the Zygons return. Hooray! The 1138 AD scenes were very funny, although the old-style fan in me disapproved of the Doctor's anachronisms when he has always rallied against such things. I think he means railed against such things. The time meddler likely taking place a few miles north of this, anyone. (laughs) And Capaldi's guitar playing, which I believe he did most of himself, was brilliant. Clearly Missy and Clara won't stay dead, and the TARDIS, if it has been exterminated, can't see it myself, will find a way to come back. I'm intrigued as to which route Stephen Moffat will take next week. I'm assuming that the young Davros won't be killed, and it is the very saving of him which will make him think that compassion is a weakness. Lovely to see all the old Daleks back, and it opens the door to having them back in the future too. Mm. There's a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks, including the explanation as to why the 12th or 14th Doctor resembles Caecilius. My theory is that as Caecilius was supposed to perish in Pompeii, and the Doctor was supposed to die at the end of his previous incarnation, there is a connection which has affected his last regeneration. I'm sure, as J.R. has postulated, that Stephen Moffat has seeded several things in this episode which he will return to later. Discovering them as the season progresses will be fascinating and adds even more anticipation to this phenomenal start to the ninth season. I'm rating this one ten, since you won't allow nine and a half. Catch you later, chaps. Miles. Ah, good man. <clears throat> yeah. Can't really argue with too much <clears throat> And on that note, then, uh, until next week, when we'll be talking about Under the... whatever it's called. Boardwalk. I don't know what it's called. Warriors of the Deep. Bridge. I can't remember. It's called Under the Something, isn't it? And then the one after is called Before the Flood. I forget. Never mind. Until then, I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And we will speak again soon.
even though I forgot to say, and we will speak again soon at the end of the last one. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends on a really funny note. It just says, and I was JR. And then the music comes in. <laughs> I thought I could add that in, but it sounds so obvious that I've recorded it in an entirely different You obviously room. knew this episode was going to be a bit late going out, so you thought, well, I can't say we we'll speak again soon, so... Oh, yeah, fair enough. You've rationalised it, yeah. Mark. Retcon. 